everybody. Welcome to the show. Last week on the show, at the end of it, I did not guess which Discord member wrote the question. Which question? Who was it? I don't know. Uh, no. Okay. I really don't know. But here's here's what I thought. I know this probably isn't going to make much sense. But what I thought was it's either snake or ice because... <laughs> really weak reasons ice is a musician and two of the questions were about music and snake really loves night of the living dead so oh okay <laughs> but i think it's maybe the music one and then so i was going to go with number two it was actually number one oh, okay which but is also close. music one yeah and it there was two, it was so. ice yeah right ice, on. Ice so did I the was, john carpenter one so i get like 50 percent credit you do i got the right person just not the right question correct yay <clears throat> Welcome to the show, everyone. Today, we are going to finish our discussion of Final Destination. We both watched the three, four, and five options in the franchise, and I know there's a six that's going to come out, but three, four, and five we watched, and we have some additional topics to talk about with regards to those movies. So we're going to do that next. But first, weird shit. Weird shit. Weird shit. So I wanted to mention a couple of pieces of horror news. Okay. Okay. The Crow takes flight once again with Bill Skarsgård and FKA Twigs starring. I saw that. How do you feel about that? I'm conflicted. Me too. <laughs> I love The Crow so much. I do. And, but and this is what happens, right? They're re- they remake everything. And it, uh, I even watched it. I think it was last year I watched it. And it's very much of its time. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't have the emotional response that I did a million years ago when I watched mm-hmm. it. But it's so beautiful and dark and poetic. And it's amazing. And the music's amazing. So I don't, I don't, you know, the love, the loss, the grief, the revenge, like all those human feelings that we can all be subject to are all represented. Plus, he was so hot at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just the tragedy of what happened during that. It was that. tragic. <sighs> It was very touching and very brutal. Like when I, you know, I, I didn't watch as many horror movies as I do now, but at the time when I watched it, I, I was like, I felt like my heart was getting ripped out. It was so mm, sad. Yeah. I remember anyway, seeing that one in the theater. Yeah, I did too. Bill Skarsgård is starring in this. So modern reimagining is what they're calling it. Directed by Rupert Sanders, who did Snow White and the Huntsman, Ghost in the Shell. Some good visuals, at least. FK Twigs, who is a singer, songwriter, also stars in it. Yeah, you know, originally these were comic books. So that is, I mean, that makes sense to me because comic books are often filled with those themes. Batman, I mean, you know, some of the comic books that I, and I'm by no means a comic book wizard at all. Right. But they often have those kinds of themes, betrayal and love and loss and revenge and all of that. And of course, Brandon Lee's tragic demise is also wrapped up in there in my emotion about it. But I mean, Zach Balin did the script. He's coming off an Oscar nomination for King Richard. You know, we talked about Will Smith, but this is the guy that wrote King Richard. And and that was just such a, I really enjoyed that movie. I thought it was really brilliantly done and I thought it was very well written and it's hard to take a life and write it in a way that can be dramatic like that. And I thought he did a good job. So they've got some heavy hitters. They're going to start pre-production, I think in June, something like that. It's going to, it's of course going to shoot in Prague and Munich. That's where they shoot all the dark movies. Mm -hmm. There's a budget of $50 million, you know, Mm -hmm. so 
We shall see. The other thing I wanted to mention for Kathy's sake, honestly, is that Scream 6 will be releasing in theaters exactly one year from (sighs) March 31st. That's awesome. You have a year. Years go by fast these days, but it's going to Ghostface will return to the big screen on March 31st, 2023, as reported by Bloody Disgusting. I just wonder if Nev and Courtney will be in it. For now, it's been confirmed that Courtney Cox will be back as Gail Weathers. Okay. With other originals possibly returning. So she's the only one they've got at the moment, as we know those things can change. But yeah, the same writers are back to write Scream 6. So. Okay. We shall see. We shall see. What you got? I think you got an article you want to talk about. I do. I actually have an article about why more Americans are afraid of the dark than they've ever been. Okay. And this is just just a few things you might also want to think about if you have kiddos. What this piece of research that was article actually came through USA Today it was published this month, 2022. I'm sorry, March of 2022, excuse me. Uh, and they talk about why the fear of the dark, not only is it common among children, by, but why it's also becoming more common among adults. It says that an estimated 11% of adults were already struggling with the fear before the pandemic, and experts say that COVID-19 has made matters worse. I mean, what hasn't it made worse? <laughs> I know. But more specifically, why, I'm more interested in the why than the COVID piece, which is fear is triggered by a real or perceived threat. So again, it's our, just like trauma, it's our reaction to the event rather than the event itself. Shannon and I m- might both be in a haunted house and she's just walking through no problem. And I'm kicking everybody in the way. Cause I'm freaking out. Okay. So I might that perceive never that. Happened. I might perceive that threat where she may not feel it at all. So what we do know is that having the global pandemic has evoked uh, a lot of uncertainty in all different aspects of our life. So what the article discusses is when, I mean, what's obvious obviously is if we're in the dark, our perception of things um, is impaired But when we're unable to see all of our other senses turn on and we start to get way more imaginative and we might then start to go places in our head because we're we're not distracted by our visual field. I don't know how this, you know, this changes. If somebody goes, loses their sight in life, I don't know what kind of transition that is for them, but I'm talking about people who can see and when the lights are shut off or they're in the dark. This is what they experience. So I'm just talking about people who do not have like extreme vision impairments. I don't know how this would be with other studies because research shows that fear of the unknown compounds other anxieties, fears of the dark and other phobias have increased exponentially. So they talk about, you know, obviously there can be more biological predispositions to this, but also the way we are raised and with the messages that we're given about the dark in general. So we know that kids have incredible imaginations. And at the same time, and I was one of those kids. Like when I went to bed at night, I would have like 50 stuffed animals on my bed and I'd bury my head in it because I swore something was going to like pop out of the dark. And what they're saying in this article is we have to be really careful in choosing hygiene before bed, like sleep hygiene for adults and for kids. Mm -hmm. Um, We want to look at the way that we even discuss the dark. Like, so stop thinking, stop associating the dark with everything scary. 
So if you're talking to a kid, right? We want to engage in fun activities after lights out, such as playing with glow sticks before bed, whispering a fun story. We don't want to be, you know, giggling about the monsters under the bed and planting those seeds. Um, we also don't want to be using night lights and turning on lights and keeping lights on because that just enables the fear and elongates the fear for adults as well. Reinforces the dark is bad. Absolutely. It also talks about blue light trouble. So nighttime modes on smartphones don't help with sleep. You know, we really want to have a, a, a room that's pretty flipping dark. And, and cool. And even thinking about how, and I know I'm guilty of this. I, I think we all are. How many hours before bed are we getting off screens? Oh yeah. So, that you know, never works for about me. two hours. They, they, <laughs> I am never successful with this. Yeah. So about two hours before bed, especially but for kids. It's a very smart idea. <laughs> yeah. So minimizing screen, screen use before bed to avoid blue light. That could be stimulating. Avoid screens at least two hours before bed. So, I just thought it was interesting because we do think about when, when our vision is impaired, we do go into our head and we think about things. And if we associate the dark with something uncertain in itself, that can trigger all of the daily fears and anxieties and things that we have. But I just think it's interesting that we're seeing more of that in adults now, but it makes sense. Oh, for sure. And I think uh, we'll be in, we'll end up talking about this a little bit more in a little bit when we talk about Final Destination because yes. it's all about fear. So congruent she picked a thing that was congruent with the topic she smart smart so the next thing we want to do is a little there's a little thing that we like to call it's like the burp one (laughs) it's there's a burp version oh let's see where am i on this Mm -hmm. okay Number one, mm. the American horror, horror story actor, Billy Lord, is daughter to this famous actress and granddaughter to this famous actress. Got it. Numero dos, why do airplanes turn lights off before takeoff and landing? Because you can sleep. <laughs> Yes. It's because it goes back to what you were just saying. Okay. Number three. You like I'm tying all the Final Destination stuff into this episode, though. Yeah, you're very savvy. What other 80s actress (laughs) was offered the lead role in Scream? Meaning. I got it. Other. Yeah. Like not the person that was cast. Yeah. I bet I meant meant Drew's Drew's character. Character. Okay. Gotcha. Not Nev. (laughs) Actually, I think I might know that. Because Drew was offered Nev's part. Yes. And turned it down. Okay. I might might know that one. I just want to be clear. Thanks. Number four EC Comics legend Jack Kamen, whose work included classic titles like Tales from the Crypt was also known for the artwork of what famous horror series? <laughs> okay. And number five, what 1950s song is playing at the beginning of Halloween 2? Thank you that for thank you for that. You're so welcome. 
anytime. <laughs> we'll be right back to discuss the rest of the Final Destination franchise. So be sure to come back. We'll be back in just a moment. <laughs> Hey, Final Destination, three, four, and five. So there are scenes of three that I remember Mm -hmm. because the beginning of three scares the shit out of me. It's one of my like biggest. Which part? The roller coaster or the the roller coaster being stuck upside down? Okay, so I hear you because I when I turn this one on because I'm pretty sure there's I hadn't seen four or five honestly when I watched them this time. There were scenes that I are familiar to me that were probably in the zeitgeist, but like I don't remember anything. I didn't really remember anything about the movies, but three I definitely saw because mm-hmm. as soon as I turned it on and realized it was the roller coaster one, I was like, ah, shit. Because roller coasters are very scary to me, and Kathy has been on roller coasters with me. They're frightening. Watching that <laughs> was really uncomfortable. The one, I mean, I, I, I'll go on the ones that go upside down because they are fun, but that's oh, always, them, but- always been a fear of mine that it's going to get stuck and I'm going to just be hanging there. Yeah, no, I was on one very, very recently at Disney's California Adventure. Oh, yeah, the Incredicoaster. When, when the Incredicoaster reopened, I went on it by myself. That's I was so down fun. at Disneyland and by myself, and it was like, it was a lot of fun, but woo, yeah. I don't have to go on it again for quite some time. Thank you very much. But I was like, I'm going to do this because yeah. I try to conquer my fears. And in this movie, conquering your fears means dying on the roller coaster. So that was one of the first notes that I made was like, oh, this one scares me. It legitimately scares me. Like a lot of horror movies don't scare me, obviously, but a it lot was a do. really it was very anxiety provoking. It was one of those scenes where we've talked about this when we've been watching movies before. I always com- compare this type of feeling to when we discussed the movie Frozen. Yes. Not the Disney. Um, <laughs> that no. you feel like you're sitting up on that ski lift you with do. them. Very visceral. And this is what this felt like for me when I was watching this opening scene. Yeah. And what I would say to that is, and what how I would bring in some other topics to our ongoing Final Destination conversation, is that I think I mentioned death anxiety the last time. And of course... Sigmund Freud hypothesized that people express a fear of death as a disguise for a deeper source of concern. So that's the way he looked at death anxiety. In other words, someone expressing to him a death anxiety is about much more. It's like he asserted that the unconscious does not deal with the passage of time or with negations. So it's not that you're literally afraid of death because everybody knows that's going to happen. It's, it's, it doesn't really calculate into amount of time left and all of that. It, it's more, okay, what's underneath that? And what I would say, as far as my own fear with some of these movies and certainly with the roller coaster and everything, is a very human fear of lack of control. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, 
Now that could mean different, something different in my life than it does in Kathy's life. But to put a blanket over it or an umbrella over it, it would be our very human fear of being out of control and not having control of our, our own actions, our own death, etc. And I think that is the larger idea behind the Final Destination movies, having watched all five of them, sure. is this idea of I am unable to make a choice about things. Mm-hmm. It's, and so that's very frightening. Yeah. The unpredictability, the the lack of, um, like you said, if you're able to to plan it mm-hmm. uh, or have control over it, like Kerr Smith did in, in the first one, mm-hmm. I'm going to control this. I'm going to, right? That There's was a character defense. almost in every movie. Yeah. That's that trying to do that. Asserts that idea. It becomes less scary, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's why too, when we think about, it's kind of a morbid conversation to have, but a lot of times you'll hear people say, I'd rather just get shot in the back of the head than ever go through like a terminal illness or something that I lose control over my functioning or, you know, because the idea I think of suffering and not being able to control that over just being gone, that's a longer time on that uncertainty, that unpredictability, that lack of control, and then losing what your functioning was, your pre-morbid functioning, I guess. Absolutely. That's the rise in us wanting to have controlled uh, suicide for death when you're right. terminally ill, right? The euthanasia, human euthanasia or whatever it is. Right. Um, and how some states have made that legal. And so people with terminal illnesses will move to those states and to try to control and, and to ultimately control the end of their life. Right. I'm going to control when it happens. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to submit to this, whatever the awful thing is that they know they're going to have to suffer through i'm going to take control of that and make a decision i grew up in detroit and i remember when the jack of case was like really big and and people just just having such opposition and opinions about somebody's desire to do that if they're in a current state and we've come a long way from them but they're still you know we still have all of those emotions sure i mean i think a lot of people would say well yeah i'm going to try to control it very feeling very justified about that and you can see how the moral question is very justifiable on both sides. I did also want to talk about, well, actually, let's talk about, so did, you liked three, right? Like, I really enjoyed. Yeah, three was pretty good. Three, three. and five, I, lo- I liked. Four, I, liked, I have different feelings about. I, I liked three and one. And I, so when I was watching three, I really had those same reminiscence, reminiscent feelings of one where, oh, this is a solid film. I actually am nervous. And yep. it's it's provoking in me the anxiety that I want to feel from a horror movie mm-hmm. or explore. Mm-hmm. So I did feel that three was pretty successful and yeah. I enjoyed it because roller coasters, man, I know. scary. So then uh, four is the final destination. <laughs> Four is way campier. Apparently it's the only one not shot in Canada or something. So oh, I, don't I don't know. What are you going to do? Gnarlier kills. I mean, the kills in this one are just really, this one has, I think is way more, it's filled with humor. Mm-hmm. It skews away from the, the seriousness of the morality number, of it all. Yeah, mm-hmm. Number one. Oh God, the escalator scene. Can we yeah. talk about that? So for this one's about a racetrack, a big uh, racetrack accident where all the cars go flying all over the place and kill everyone. So that's the basic. So three is roller, um, you know, roller coasters. This one's a racetrack. This one, um, there's the escalator scene where the guy's legs get smashed. The opening head explosion. Yes. I rewound that. I was like that. What happened? But that was a great. 
obviously you see it two seconds before it happens, but that was a great, from like a special effects oh, place, yeah, that was a great fun. kill. Well, and this one was 3D, so you can imagine right, what that would have been like in the theater. Yeah, yeah. And then the car wash. There was like three, yes. the, the kills in this, this, this one the kills were great. played more like a slasher. There was a lot more camp, a lot more humor, and some really cheesy effects. There was a snake Terrible. at one point where I was like, oh, yeah. what the fuck was that? Like, they really skewed that? from the first yeah, and three. it was a Warner Brothers movie instead of, you know, I just, um, a little different. It was a little different. But hey, campy, and if you're watching the whole franchise, like, not, it's not a, it's awful. I mean, no, it's it just, just, it's a break from the seriousness of it. It's a break from the it. seriousness of it because then five, I loved five, gets you back into <clears throat> the impending doom and all of that. And then also, I think, as Kathy wanted to discuss a little bit of the moral dilemma. Yeah. That so five, first of all, as a, even as a standalone, I thought it was a solid movie. And, and it's about bridges. I'm sorry to interrupt you, yeah. but it's about bridges and bridges are very scary. Bridges are very scary. <laughs> I think this one also goes back to number one. In some ways, I actually like it more than I like number one because I thought the story was more interesting and they're a little bit more grown up and maybe I was able to attach to that more. I'm not sure. Um, you know, the, this one, they're on a corporate retreat. So they're like in their 20s versus their teens. And it takes us back full circle to number one, which is really cool. No, I, I really, that. I definitely liked like how, how it ended and, mm -hmm. and how everything kind of played out in the beginning and in the end, because it definitely wrapped it up in a franchise bow. It does. And it, and I love that, which is why I'm, I wish they would just leave it there and not make a six. Cause four didn't really do that. No. Is what I will add is four was like a slasher on its own. Four is one of those outlier ones, you know, how in all the series there's outlier ones yeah. or is that <laughs> so this one i liked because it it does the they finally say okay we're on number five we probably should do something different because the first four movies have been the same formula yeah and so they don't necessarily switch it but they modify it and tony todd who's been <laughs> um you know so basically the grim reaper through this whole series he plays a a, a really great role in this one and he essentially lets them know like okay if you want to twist this fate and you want to no longer have to avoid this now that you know that your time has come all you have to do is find someone who you want to take out and kill yourself and that will get you your life back so that person essentially takes your curse yeah so they they kind of lightly suggested that early on in mm -hmm. like one or two or three or somewhere in there they sprinkled that yeah. but they didn't explore it because i remember them saying something about that and i was like huh that's interesting which would make sense because this timeline is the same timeline as number one yeah for yeah. sure and i and i also know so they've explored the idea of so in this movie they changed the rules and one of the rules they changed is of course they added this layer of like oh this is how you can solve it is you can actually commit murder and save yourself and so then there's that moral questions like saw or any of the movies that like put you in a puzzle of morality but they also say that death doesn't allow you to kill yourself which was very different from kind of early on i mm -hmm. think in the franchise where you could kill yourself right uh, they just didn't successfully necessarily do that, except I think there was one character along the way that jumped out a window or something like that. But so characters in this like try to kill themselves and they can't. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's playing in, on an even more detailed level with the idea of is your death predetermined, basically. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. Yep. And then can and how much can we change the the path if we take somebody else out? Can we reroute our 
path to the end of our life. And I guess this brings up just more of that moral question of how could we possibly know whether we would actually do that or not unless we were in that situation where we knew that any moment we could die, would would we actually think about or go through with, hey, that person's not going to be missed. Yeah, and they play with that in the sense that there's someone not remembering it exactly right at this moment, maybe you remember, but the way the idea comes up is one of the characters realizes that or learns that, and then there's this is a really easy way that they could kill someone bad. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's how they realize it is someone bad dies, the person kills a bad person, and then it, they're saved or what have you. And it's yeah. like, oh, huh. And then one of the other characters kind of roams around looking at all the opportunities you have to kill people all day long, which you didn't really ever really realize. You don't yeah. really realize that. So it actually puts you in the point of view of like, oh, he's right. Like there's lots of opportunities to kill people that we don't take every day of our lives. When, he, when he's behind that woman, he's about yeah. to push her in front of the bus and he doesn't right. do it. I also love uh, the just the twist on the ending too, because- by making that choice, he ends up losing anyway. It just goes to show you like that selfish choice. That person was going to die anyway. And there you go. He's going to die. And after doing all of that, he's going to die. And that's congruent with the franchise. Yes. No matter what little shit they put on top of the story or other rules that they make, it's always ends in you're going to die no matter what. <laughs> so uh, no matter what, this move, these movies address the idea that we're all going to die and sort of coming to grips with that, whatever that anxiety brings up in for you. The other thing I, I kind of wanted to throw out there was that what one of the other things that's interesting to me about these movies, and I haven't done any research into figuring out like where the writer originally came up with these ideas, but that, you know, the question of is our time of death predetermined is actually a religious question. Yes. It's been in the Bi it's in the Bible quite a bit and it's a it's a question that, you know, is answered by Christianity and I imagine by all of the world religions in some way, shape, or form. So I did want to sort of talk about that a little bit. It's that idea of when you're born and when you die, like being in written in a book somewhere, you know, that God in this case and whatever you choose to call him or her or the universe or whatever it is that there's because there's so many scriptures in the in the Bible because I'm 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 only familiar with Christianity as far as like that's what I looked up but I imagine world religions address this because the Bible is honestly no different than all of the other books that world religions have that just believes in slightly different things. It talks about slightly different stories, but every religion has an Adam and Eve. Every religion has a, you know, a, a betrayer, all of this kinds of things. So it's that idea, I guess in Job 14, five, and I'm, I'm not a religious person, but I did look up a bunch of this. It's like, it says our days are fixed. The number of our months with you, you set a statue and we can't exceed it. So there is this idea in the Bible around life is short. And so, of course, there's a lot of moral lessons around that. Of course, living and dying, not murdering anyone. And we all have heard the Ten Commandments, at least in our culture, even if you didn't grow up as a Christian, you hear those commandments and you see them in the movies all the time. And I'm just struck by there's this is this whole franchise built on <laughs> this idea from religion yeah. that we have an expiration date and that it's fixed a predestination and no yeah and that we don't control it 
And so there is that idea of that surrender, you know, it's that surrender to the almighty God, right? And that's, that's how religion uses it, but that can be used in anything. Like we do mindfulness, you know, I'm going to talk about some DBT stuff in our mini cast for Patreon, but like we talk about mindfulness and, you know, radical acceptance and giving up control of outcomes and all of that. It, it all dates back to these like really old religions and not just Christianity, but way back to Buddhism, yeah, philosophies. To mm-hmm. So, so when we talk about the final destination movies being really popular, I would say, yes, of course it's fun because there's misdirects, there's impending doom, there's these creative freak accidents that almost would never happen kind of thing. And then this, and there's these really scary scenes about things we're all afraid of. <laughs> if you look at the five movies, you're going to find something that you're really afraid of, obviously in there somewhere. And it all, it's so systemic and so unconscious and so built into our DNA that I just wanted to address that that's why these movies succeed. And that's why we had so many people, I think, this is my opinion, that's why I think so many people asked us to talk about Final Destination movies and why they were so important. It's not because they're the most epic or important horror movies ever made. It's because this is ingrained in our DNA from thousands of years ago. This is the psychology of horror. This is the one of the reasons why did we did this show, right? So it, yeah, it's looking at how some of just the most uh, how do I want to explain this natural events of our life are horrifying. You, bet. <laughs> you know, whether that's um, we're talking about relationships, we're talking about existence, um, we're talking about mental health. I mean, horror is such a psychological genre. And even just to wrap it up, just what you were bringing up a minute ago is the the urge to live longer, right? The urge to survive is all over this. The urge to control our survival is all over this. And murderous urges they introduced in five. So I'll be really interested to say, see what they do in six because they introduced the idea that we all have we all can grapple at the end of the day with the urge to murder someone else to save ourselves. And a lot of horror movies deal with that in a really successful way. But I think like you said, this five just kind of lightly throws it in there. It's not the whole story, but they definitely address it. So I'll be interested to see what way they go with six because there's some, they've represented a bunch of different ways they could go. So yeah. anyway, that concludes our final destination discussions. Look forward to whatever other series we get up into. I know that next week we're going to do the Stanford prison experiment, which we know there's been 45,000 conversations about this over the years, (laughs) but we will try to bring our, our opinion. Well, we'll always bring our opinion, but we're going to try to bring at least some kind of slant to it that is congruent with what we normally talk about because obviously this thing has been talked about ad nauseum, but we're going to give it a shot next week. So thanks so much. Stick around. We're going to go into our movie watches and books next. So we'll be right back.
Hey there, we're back. We're going to talk books and movies. But before we do that, I wanted to mention to Kathy and to all everyone, have you ever subscribed to Horror Pack? This is not a promotion that we're being paid for. <laughs> I just got my Horror Pack package. And what it is, is every, I think it's every three months, you can pay, you know, 40 or 50 bucks or whatever it is. And they just send you four Blu-rays or four. Oh, four that's Blu cool. In the, it's a really fun way. Kathy can see on my shelf that I've been doing it for a little yeah. while. And it's fun because it gives you a bunch of movies you might not normally buy. So I wanted to share with you that I just got my package yesterday. And in this in this quarter's pack, there was the movie Crucible of Horror, which looks a little bit... Yeah, this looks like a little bit of an older one. Which oh my is gosh, super yeah. cool. Um, that you get, and you get, fun. sorry, what, what is it? You order horror pack, right? And you get four or you can buy different amounts of them and, you know, horrorpack.com and you pay every quarter and they ship them to you. Got it. And you don't pick them. You, you, it's a surprise. It's random. I like yeah, that. Yeah. It's fun. So I got, uh, this time I got crucible of horror. I got one. And then that says EYFD girl. And I don't even know. Is that supposed to be one, oh, one eyed? Oh, thank you. Yeah. No. Oh, I <laughs> the third letter looked like it an does F, look like, but it's F. actually an E a one eyed girl. And I got freak and I got this great movie VW VFW, which, nice. is, a, which is a great horror flick. I really like that. That's one. really cool. And how much do you pay for that? I think it's like 40 or 50 bucks, maybe or like pack. that. Yeah, Horror Pack. Okay. So I wanted just to throw that out there. For those of you who subscribe to Horror Pack, you might get the same four movies as me or not. Let us let me know because that would be fun to know what everybody gets. If they're the same, if they're not the same, you know, Very yada, cool. yada. So we're I love gonna, it. Yeah, I have actually a book. I think this is the only book necessarily we're going to talk about today. Okay. But I finished the book, The Jigsaw Man, which I think I've mentioned before. It's by Gord Rollo. There are a lot of books, if you go on Goodreads, that are called some version of The Jigsaw Man. So <laughs> you do have to make sure you have the right author. It's called Gord. Uh, he's called Gord Rollo. And it's short, very gruesome. It's frightening. It does deal with more moral dilemmas, but it has an, a, a tight plot. I think it holds together well. I think they nailed the ending. I, I think it's a really good one. And I may have talked about it before, but I did want to just bring it up because I definitely finished it this time. And I know that sometimes we're just looking for a Kindle read, right? So yeah. you get on Kindle and it's a very fast read. For me, it was a very fast read, and I don't read very fast, so <laughs> it was a good one. It's 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 the one I talked about before. It's a homeless man who's like living in the gutter and all of that, and yeah. he gets the proposal of like you can become a millionaire if you give me your right arm. Oh, okay. And the hilarity does not ensue. Bad things happen. Very very bad things. But unlike when we talked about last week with Manhunt, unlike that book, this is a fast read. So even if you didn't like it, you it moves. The plot definitely moves. And you do care about the main character. And you actually care about some of the other characters or some emotional parts for me. Like, oh, shit. And there were moral dilemmas. Death and life and respect for those things nice. are definitely in there just as an adjunct. But honestly, even though it's, you know, the ebook is 289 pages, like super fast. So okay. I would say read it if you're a horror fan. I'd say get in there. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Would you watch? I 
got around to watching The Dropout, which is the eight-episode series on Elizabeth Holmes. Okay. Amanda Seyfried was unbelievable. (laughs) She's really upping her game a lot in the last few years, honestly. So for people who don't know the whole story, I'll just give a quick synopsis. Obviously, this is based on the true story of uh, Elizabeth Holmes, American former biotechnology entrepreneur who was convicted of criminal fraud. In 2003, Holmes founded and was the chief executive officer of Theranos, a now defunct health technology company that soared in valuation after the company claimed to have revolutionized blood testing by developing methods that could use surprisingly small volumes of blood, such as from a finger prick. So Forbes had... um, named her the youngest and wealthiest self-made female billionaire in America at the time. Obama was funding her. Biden was funding her. Clinton was funding. I mean, it was like, she just blew up. She's a complete sociopath. Um, Really interesting. I was, I I have an article. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in in depth on our Monday mini cast, because I've been putting out some articles on the website about like the difference between psychopathy and sociopathy. And, you know, there's depending on some people use those words interchangeably, but there really is a, a clear distinction between the two. And I do believe that she's, she's much more of a, a sociopath just because there are some relationships in her life, like the one with her father, which really it's, it, you see her whole dynamic with her parents growing up and who she was forced into being. And, you know, we know what we know about sociopathy is it's nurture more so than nature. And, it really paints, at least from, you know, I, I'm assuming this is pretty accurate, but it is Hollywood, who knows? Uh, it, it explains a lot as to how she became who she is. Uh, she even went as far as deepening her voice to appear uh, more intelligent and to be taken more seriously. And Amanda Seyfried, I love her so much and I hated her so much in this because <laughs> it's, I I binged this and and I don't binge. I mean, I was so, I couldn't get enough of it. And William H. Macy, who plays the the family friend, who's an actual scientist and starts to catch on. He's so great anyway. And and Laurie Metcalf plays the Stanford professor. Really well cast. Oh my God. And the fact that she, her, there's a, she does a three minute monologue at the beginning when Elizabeth Holmes tries to manipulate Laurie Metcalf into bringing her on and trying to use this whole thing like come on we're women and Lori Metcalf does this three minute monologue that shuts her down I have no idea how they this cast has not been recognized for this because the performances Nikki I think it's Andres who plays one of the the main people that she gets over from Apple Naveen Andrews, who plays Sonny Balwani, who plays is is her business partner and lover through this, who's like, you know, a good 20 years older. And there's a whole thing with him. And he's also sociopath, but also gets dragged into this codependency with her. I'm telling you all, if you have not seen this and you really want to know what a sociopath looks like in your day to day, this was so well done. Oh, great. I will check it out. Yeah, it's great. So I recommend that. It's interesting that you're saying this because I watched a true crime documentary, so not a fictionalized, but called How to Fix a Drug Scandal. Mm -hmm. Have you seen this one? I haven't. It's an American true crime documentary miniseries. There's four episodes, as they do these days. (laughs) The premise revolves around the documentary filmmaker Aaron Lee Carr following the effects of a 
crime drug lab chemist, uh, Sonia Farak, who is very famous, and also Annie Dukin, who was very famous for tampering with evidence and its after effects. So it's on Netflix. It's been out for a couple of years. I feel as if I may have watched it before, but I actually just got dra- dragged into it again because I remembered pieces of it, but you know how it is with the true crime docs, like I forget. And so this time I was paying a lot more attention. So Sonia Farak is really interesting. She was a drug chemist in Massachusetts and she was working in this lab for uh, almost 10 years. And it was a lab that was very, very underfunded. These are the bottom lines, folks, like very, very underfunded and not a lot of checks and balances. And she was there as a drug chemist. And all they do all day long is they take the drug scandal from the raid or from the arrest. They test it and they certify it that it's XYZ drug. And then they write their report and then that report goes to court. And so when you have drug charges and you are arrested and then convicted, you have to actually have had drugs in your possession. So if you Mm. had a big bag of salt and the cops thought it was drugs and you spent a year in jail and it wasn't actually drugs, you, you know, you're innocent basically. So you can't be convicted of a drug crime if it isn't actually drugs, (laughs) which makes sense, but also not always. So what happened is, is that during her tenure at this joint, um, at some point she started using drugs. And what she would do is she would use the liquid form of meth, the liquid form of several other different kinds of drugs, but meth was her primary. So she only started using other drugs when she would run out of that. But what they have is like a control sample and it's liquid. And so she would just go over to where they kept the control samples and she would put a little drop on her tongue and there's a gigantic bottle of it. So she'd just do that huh. for years. Wow. While she was processing everyone's wow drug and certifying and signing her name. So the original case, what it, what ends up happening is that her original case was only for this one year. And so they thought, okay, these are, these are X amount of cases that are affected. And what you find out throughout the whole documentary is that they find, um, through the course of the scandal, basically, there's this one guy that wants to get his particular defendant off because he believes it was a wrongful conviction. But that arrest happens many years before when Sonia Frank was believed to be using, Mm -hmm. but he just, it just didn't jive for him. So the documentary kind of takes you on that journey of what ends up happening is he pushes and pushes and he's known as like a total jerk because he keeps pushing the system, but he, cause he could tell that there was a cover up. Yeah, that they didn't. They were like, okay, well, we gotta, we gotta contain this, right? Any yeah. big company is gonna be like, oh, that's the that's kind of like this in this yeah, situation. We yeah. gotta contain this mm-hmm. because holy shit, if it's if it's longer than a year, we're in big trouble. So what he ends up finding is he ends up finding her drug rehab diaries. Okay, in some paperwork, et cetera, they tell you where, and it talks about how, and it shows her diaries, and it was like you know Thursday I used I used on the job, blah blah blah. But this was years before they had actually. So what they figured out is that she had been using for much, much longer. Anyway, it puts all those cases in jeopardy. They also talk about Annie Dukin, who was known in her department. She was a drug chemist as well. She was known in her department as having the most, compl- the best completion rate. Like she was 
crazy on fire. She blew everybody away with all of the things that she was doing. You know, if some normal person could do 10 in a day, she could do 30, like just blowing Mm -hmm. them away. And what they ended up finding out, and she's actually never, ever talked to the press, what they ended up finding out is that she was just falsifying it. She wasn't doing the testing Mm -hmm. at all. And that's how come she was so fast. She would literally just throw it in there. It sounds very similar. Sign it. Yeah. So you have one person who's dealing with a really bad addiction who got themselves into a whole lot of trouble. Yeah. And then you have another person who I imagine is dealing with a whole lot of perfectionism and needing to be on top and needing to be important and smart and the best. Yep. And just figuring out a way to do that. I don't know them. Obviously, I didn't do any more research other than just those documentaries. But anyway, I would recommend it. Awesome. Sounds of interest to you. Yeah. Yep. For sure. The other movie that I'll talk about is from 2021. It's called The Seed. Okay. This is a body horror film that I really liked and may even be the one that I suggest we watch this month with Discord. It, It gets like whatever reviews because you know the story is the the acting's whatever but i think the body horror and the effects and the grotesqueness if that's a word of this movie is so good oh good so three friends deidra charlotte and heather have traveled to the mojave desert in order to live stream a meteor shower while staying at a palatial home owned by deidra's father Deidre is frustrated when their phones stop working as she had hoped to use the event to further increase her standing as a social media influencer. And she's really annoying on purpose. A meteor crash lands on the property and the women retrieve it only discover that it's a strange creature. The following day, the creature appears to molt shedding its rocky exterior unnerved by the, unnerved by the creature. The women try to have their young gardener, Brett get rid of it. This fails and Brett flees the property. The women argue over whether they should kill the creature, eventually agreeing against doing so for the time being. So this creature ends up staying there. One starts to nurture the creature. The other one's like, get it the fuck out of the house. And it starts to mutate and the the effects and then how it ends up taking over. Uh-huh. And what it does to these women, it is so flipping disgusting. <laughs> the effects are so much fun in this movie. That sounds like it's um, up my alley. But it's a, it's a good one. And I'm thinking that might be one of our two. Okay. We shall see. We shall see what you pick for April. So the last movie I wanted to talk about today was that Shudder in March did a bunch of French horror they dropped, you know, how every month Shudder or most months Shudder will drop a bunch of movies into the streaming service that are themed. So, like, I think the month before that it was Boris Karloff. So they dropped a bunch of Boris Karloff in there. And last month it was a bunch of French horror and French extremist horror. Uh, d- didn't so, they do Frankenstein also? Te- yeah, yeah, at one point, yeah. Mm-hmm. So things like high tension that we're all yeah. familiar with, mm-hmm. stuff like that. That's in, cons- there was this period of time in the in the aughts where French extremist horror was really very popular, and there's some of it that is actually good. And one of the movies that I believe is really good in this, and is, and I actually used it in my challenge items for my favorite female psychopath, which of course. Uh, in the movies, of course. I could have chosen a lot of things. A lot of people would think I would choose Audition, but I wanted to watch something else. So I watched Inside from 2007, which is one of my top 
favorite female psychopaths for sure in movies. Four months after the death of her husband, a woman on the brink of motherhood is tormented in her home by a strange woman who wants her unborn baby. And so it's very bloody. It's very gory. It's French extremism. So it's uncomfortable, but I I wouldn't say that it goes, I wouldn't say that it goes to the level of being so uncomfortable. You can't watch it. If you're used to horror movies, this isn't a beginner horror movie for sure. Okay. But the first, you know, I would say the first half of this movie are sort of perfection. (laughs) It's just like so grim and so frightening and so like the burn of it, the fear that is put with you is so palpable and what happens to her and you kind of don't know what's going on. And it is a Christmas movie, (laughs) by the way, she's and it's, and it also plays with the mother themes. You know, we've talked about movies like Prevenge and some other movies that have the, the birth or baby or pregnancy theme in it. It has that, which isn't one of my favorite tropes, but for this, it doesn't matter at all. It's definitely about the psychopath that wants her baby and the performance. Oh my goodness. Okay. So good. It's, (laughs) I, I read one review on, I think it was Letterboxd. It said, Kind of like a remake of Home Alone, but instead of Macaulay Culkin, you have a pregnant chick, and instead of Chris Columbus, it's directed by Satan. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> it was my favorite. That's, that was one of my great. favorite reviews that I that I read. So I would recommend that one. Very cool. Right on. So the next thing we have to do Finish is all of with some answers to our question. Oh, I don't know why I'm singing. Because you love it. <laughs> you love it. I don't know. I just don't know. You know a couple of these, though. Uh, uh, maybe. Number, number one. <laughs> maybe, I don't American know. American Horror Story actor Billy Lord is daughter to which woman and granddaughter to which woman? Well, I knew the grand thing, I think. I think it's blonde, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just say she died like a day before her own daughter. <laughs> no, for real. Really? Oh, they're both no. very famous. Oh no, Debbie Reynolds. Yes, and uh, Car- Carrie Fisher. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I knew the grandma. I thought I knew the grandma, and then I forgot it as soon as I got on mic, and then I got it back. <gasps> yeah, I think they died very, very close. <laughs> I think mom and daughter. And I've read Carrie Fisher's memoir. Hmm. I've read a lot of her books, but the one on recovering from alcoholism. Ooh, mm. ooh, that's a good book. I love Billy Lord too. She's great. Number two. <laughs> Why do airplanes turn lights off before taking off and landing? Um, I thought it was to conserve power, but I they want you to go to sleep. It calms you. I, I don't. I don't so, actually know. <laughs> I didn't know, and it's kind of creepy, but. Uh, your eyes take time to adjust before takeoff and landing. So they want your eyes pre-adjusted, increasing your likelihood to make it out of a crash. Whoa. I don't like that answer. I know. They, they don't want, they don't want you to be like blinded. If there's a crash. Yeah. They want you to have the best uh, visual. Yeah. To be able to get out of the, you know, the exit and all that. Uh, Yeah. I'm like, Okay, so it's for safety. We're going to go with safety reasons. It's for safety reasons. <laughs> oh, That's grim. 
Number three. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. It's, that's what it's called. Because <laughs> it's horrifying. What other 80s actress was offered the lead role in Scream? 80s actress, huh? <laughs> she sits back. 80s actress, huh? Was the le- Like, which lead? Uh, Drew's character. Oh. Casey. 80s actress. I, I had a name in mind, and they're, they're just not an she 80s actress. She was in, actress. like, um, every 80s romantic comedy. I don't know. Red hair. Oh, Molly Ringwald? Yeah. Oh, how funny. Okay, so I had another actress's name in my head, and I couldn't get it out of it. I was like, I thought maybe Kristen Stewart, but obviously she was an amoeba. She would have been she was two. A, an amoeba. Number four. EC Comics legend Jack Kamen, whose work included classic titles like Tales from the Crypt, was also known for the artwork of what famous horror series? What else looks like a comic strip? Batman? Creep show. Oh. And number five, what 1950s <laughs> song is playing at the beginning of Halloween? I'm two? obviously not a huge fan of those. <laughs> I wish. I've watched a few of them. I like Creep Some show. of the newer ones have been really good, but yeah. like I wasn't a kid that watched that. I just know that they always do a comic at the beginning when you watch a creep show. Yes, movie. they yeah. do. And, yes, it, they and do. it looks very similar to Tales of the Crypt. Um, anyway, Tales from the Crypt. Mm-hmm. What 1950s song is playing at the beginning of Halloween 2? I don't know that one either. Mr. Sandman. <gasps> that's a good song. No. Mr. Sandman, bring me it. No, that's not it, right? Okay. That's it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's all I got. Thank you so much for those facts. We will be back next week. We're going to talk about the Stanford prison experiment, unless there's some other topic that floats our fancy. That's true. If something happens, we will pivot as we do in the past, but we that's do. our plan. Stanford prison's, experiment and then uh, some more Ted Bundy in the weeks to come because we're going to finish that out so thank you so much for listening this has been an episode of Terror Talk my name is Shannon and I'm Kathy sleep safe everyone